This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The David Pakman Show, The Jimmy Dore Show, The Young Turks, The Onion Radio News, Moyers and Company, The Progressive, and Comedian Lee Camp. And a note for all listeners, this episode is about religion, so prepare to be outraged regardless of what side you're coming from. There was a priest in Wood, uh, Woodburn, Oregon, who was caught chasing a boy down the street wearing only his underwear. In other words, the priest was the one wearing only his underwear. It was close to midnight on Sunday. James Kurtz saw the 12-year-old boy running down the street toward him. Kurtz said the child was panting, was out of breath, begging for help, saying, there's a man chasing me. Moments later, a man rounds the corner, and he is wearing only underwear. He just stood a short distance away. He tried to wave the boy over. Kurtz and the sister-in-law prepared to drive the boy over to relatives. It turns out that the man who was doing the chasing was the Reverend Angel Armando Perez, the parish priest at St. Luke Catholic Church in Woodburn. Early Monday, the boy gave the police a detailed account of what happened. Of course, unfortunately, it involves abused sexual, uh, alleged sexual abuse at Perez's home, which eventually led to Perez's arrest. He was arraigned, appearing via video. He was, uh, he was secured with, with uh, chains in front, of his, in front of his waist. He faces allegations of first-degree sexual abuse, abuse of a child in the display of sexually explicit conduct, furnishing alcohol to a minor, which is always kind of like the cherry on top in these. Right. Uh, and driving under the influence. Okay. So this is a really disturbing story, not the least of which, because as usual, we don't really see any big movement within the Catholic Church that says, this is a problem, we have to stop this, we can't shield this guy, this guy needs to be out, he needs to be ostracized, none of that. Which is why every time we do a story like this, and as more time passes, I think, honestly, the whole point of the Catholic Church is just to molest little boys. That's a very uh, aggressive accusation, Lewis, and certainly you're... It's you're, one I'm perfectly comfortable making. Well, there you go. As far as I'm concerned, it's just the world's biggest pedophilia ring. Producer Lewis, there you go. Yep. B- not bigger than NAMBLA. Uh, I, would, I would say the Catholic Church is bigger than NAMBLA. There may be cross-pollination. I'm sure there, there, there's a link, yeah. The boy told police that Perez gave him a beer, and they watched a movie. Kid's 12 years old. The boy told investigators that there was an air mattress set up on the living room floor for him to sleep on. It's kind of a red flag. He fell asleep on the mattress. Later, the boy was woken up by some flashes, which was, of course, the, the good reverend with one hand on the boy's genitals and one hand holding a cell phone camera. Doing God's work, no doubt. Unbelievable. I mean, it's sickening. It, it's literally sickening. The other thing is, with all this that's going on, why would any parent, even if you really think your church... The guy at your Catholic church is not like all the others. You're fine with him. All of these guys are never that guy until the first time they're that guy. Every time you hear about this happening, uh, it's happening in 10,000 other places where you don't hear about it. And come on, get with the program here. Don't send your kid there. You know, I love Chris Matthews because, uh, you know, he was a born bo- bootlicker with a knee-jerk deference to power. 
And uh, he can never ask a tough question of anyone in power if it's going to might hurt his career. So he, ne- he here's so he's a Catholic. He always has these Catholic guys come on all the time on his show, and he never asks them a tough question. In fact, he'll go, "He's our scholar. He's our Catholic scholar." He, you've heard me play those clips yeah, on the show before, yeah. where he refers to people. That's our Catholic scholar, and he never calls BS on these guys, right? So and here's and you know he never called BS like uh, I, I've said this before. I'll say it again. When I started stand-up comedy, which I started, and I don't want to say back in 1989, was my first open mic. I was four. <laughs> and um, that very night, there were comedians on stage at my first open mic in Chicago. There were comedians making pedophile jokes about priests. So anybody who says... Uh, and then, then it took about, I don't know, 15 more years for the story to break nationally, right? <laughs> and what it took was some people civilly su- civil and going to civil court and suing. And that's what, and then they got these big awards, and all of a sudden the press was like, hey, maybe we should report this. Maybe we should talk about how the priests are raping kids and then they're covering it up. Not one journalist seemed to be able to make that connection or want to report it. And even if there were journalists who wanted to report it, they didn't get reported. They got edited out of their newscasts or newspapers or whatever they were doing. Here's Chris Matthews. Now, he had a show. He's had a show for a long time. He's been a journalist for a long time. And uh, here's what he says, why he missed the story of Catholic pedophilia. And this is all in the light of the Jerry Sandusky trial, because he's saying, well, this is this is a good thing that they're having this Jerry Sandusky trial, he says, because they're using the real words now. They're not just saying molest. What does that mean, he says? Now they're talking about what he did. He heard bodies slapping together. and So he's saying that this is a good thing, that we're no longer whitewashing it. And, well, here, I'll just play the clip and we'll talk. Here we go. Journalism has to be respectful. I understand that. But for years, these cases of adult sexual abuse of children has been soft-pedaled in the media. We've gotten used to words like molested without any idea what's being described. There's been too much avoidance of what should have been described clearly. The result has been an unintentional downplaying of the charges. Perhaps, just perhaps, this has helped the perpetrators and those covering up for them escape the full public outrage and with it rebuke that finally occurred but didn't for so long in such cases. I'm referring to my church here. Like so many millions of others, I never got the picture in the early going. I never understood what was going on in these cases of priests abusing older boys. Never could get my thinking around it properly because of the hesitant manner in which the cases and allegations were reported. Okay, so I guess it's not his fault. Really? It's the media's fault for not using the words that were act- that would actually trigger his brain to question that's authority. unbelievable. That's Chris Matthews. That's unbelievable. Giving, <laughs> saying, well, so, this, so this kid is saying he was molested. What does that mean? What does it mean? Uh, who, who, who knows what that could possibly mean? And Matthews feels the time is right to stand up and say this because, as usual, he's ten years too late. <laughs> Perfect timing. Yes, because when it comes to righteous indignation, nobody can fake it like Chris Matthews can. <laughs> he's annoyed. And Chris Matthews. Not only Chris. Both those guys. <laughs> Crick Matthews is actually a good country singer but. <laughs> watching in Crick Matthews so it was a terrible duo though yeah. <laughs> what know. word would have been better bone I don't know <laughs> I don't know what would have been yeah and just the idea that oh I was a Catholic you know and like you said and, and I remember being um, aware of pedophilia in in the Catholic for decades ago you know yes it's it's not it just became there were cases but it was something that was known and the idea that that like in 1985 or whatever, 
Chris Matthews was naive about it. Oh, there's reports of abuse. I can't wrap my head around that. I can't that. wrap they're, my head around that there's priests raping. Yeah. You know, because they're not using the right euphemism. They're, they're saying stuff like molested and abused yeah. and, and tons of priests raping boys. I guess, that, <laughs> I guess that didn't sink in when he heard tons it's of code. priests, priests rape. What does that mean, tons it's of coded, priests? It's coded speech. <laughs> Priests raping boys. I can't unpack that in my mind. <laughs> I can't wrap my head around this molesting priest raping boys thing. What does that mean? Are they going for, for ice cream? What does that mean exactly? And I can totally picture Chris Matthews uh, back then going, uh, well, that priest seems a little weird with kids, but he's being transferred to another parish, so yeah. <laughs> we don't have to worry about him. Yeah. They've taken care of that problem. The media should have let the public know whether it was good molesting or bad molesting. Yes, I'm with you. You know, early on, Chris Matthew, you know, early on, he never understood what was going on with the priest molesting altar boys because the church kept denying it. And why would they lie about something like that? Mm. What would they have to lose? What That's what I can't they? figure out. And what would a, how could you possibly conceive that an institution of celibate men dressed in weird costumes <laughs> would be into anything crazy like that? It's because they used the wrong words. You know, Matthews would have had a much clearer picture of sexual abuse that was going on if he'd only had a dictionary. And I would say about the Catholic Church, they, they've used this, the wrong word. Uh, they've used the word religion. I think cult is, is more appropriate. <laughs> uh, I agree and then maybe you. if we start calling it a cult, maybe people can wrap their heads around the fact that it's just that it you know it does do good charity things and stuff, but a lot of it institutionally is really completely crazy, as crazy as any other as Scientology or any cult that you could that any you could cult name. that you could ever think yes. of. It goes all the way to the top too, by the way. Blue oyster there. cult. Uh, no, not as crazy as them, but uh. <laughs> I, I just—it's just funny, you know. All those years, Chris Matthews just couldn't get the truth out of those priests and church officials because they were being interviewed by Chris Matthews. <laughs> <laughs> The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. the strangest Republican in the country. Now you're going to say, oh, come on, that's a tough title. Well, there's people like, of course, Michelle Bachman. Well, guess what? This guy, Alan Quist, in Minnesota, was Michelle Bachman's mentor. <laughs> that's where she learned this stuff from. In fact, she once brought other legislators to pray over a gay colleague's desk to make her ungay or whatever. Okay, and she learned this stuff from guys like Alan Quist. So let me tell you about him. He's a fascinating character. So Alan Quist used to be a one-time anti-sodomy crusader. Okay, so instantly we're having fun. Uh, now I'm going to get back to that because I want to tell you at the end 
what he did to be an anti-Saudi crusader. But in the meanwhile, he believes that uh, you know we coexisted with dinosaurs, obviously. Uh, he believes that the curriculum standards in uh, Minnesota were totalitarian and that they were uh, brainwashing and were going to lead to a United Nations takeover. Uh, and meanwhile, he also believes that abortion should be classified as a first-degree homicide. He believes there should be mandatory AIDS testing for obtaining a marriage license because he doesn't want a gay AIDS spreading to straight people. How that would happen is entirely unclear, but that's why he wants the mandatory testing. And he believes that women are, quote, genetically predisposed to be subservient to men. How's that for fun? <laughs> okay. Now you're thinking, what an old crazy guy. <laughs> there's, there's one thing we know. This guy's certainly not going to win any kind of election, right? Well, you're right. He hasn't won an election in 25 years. Except for last night. He just beat the guy who was favored in the Republican primary and will be running as a Republican candidate for United States Congress in the 1st District of Minnesota. He'll be running against Tim Walz, who is a three-time Democratic congressman from there. So it ought to be a very fun race. Uh, but I'm just getting started on Alan Quist. At one point, he said, uh, in fact, this was from 1994, back when, in the days when he was relevant. He's teaching the Michelle Bachmans of the world, etc. It's from the St. Petersburg Times, re referring to when he used to be a legislator in Minnesota. Quote, at one point, a Senate leader suggested he had an unhealthy preoccupation with sex, having devoted 30 hours to it in a single session. I want you to understand what that means. You know when they get up and speak, they speak in like 5-minute intervals, 15-minute intervals, etc. Over one session, he spoke for 30 hours. Oh, I tell you about sex. Let me tell you about sex. Oh, those gays. God, they're sodomy. Oh, God, I hate that. Let me tell you more about the sodomy. Okay. I mean, that man got issues. But you think that's what? Let's go back to the dinosaurs. He has a theory that they coexisted with men in the 11th century. Let's let him explain. Quote, the only reasonable explanation for the stagosaurus carved in stone on the wall of the Cambodian temple is that the artist had either seen a stegosaur or had seen other artworks of a stegosaur. Either way, people and stegosaurs were living at the same time. <laughs> Has there been a better definition of cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs? But it gets better. Now, if you're going to be Michelle Bachman's mentor, you can't just stay with dinosaurs and humans coexisting. He also believes there is scientific evidence for dragons. <laughs> So, I'm saving the best for last, but wait, uh, there's a clip of him talking about what he would do if he got into office. Could the House impeach the president? Yes. And I don't think, uh, whoever the president is, I don't think they would like to be on the list of the third president to be impeached. Would that be something you would propose? I, I would not. Amongst your, amongst your... Stand your fellows there. <laughs> I would not only propose it, I would argue it to the utmost of my ability. Of course he would. What are you going to impeach the president? I looked at but he's not defending the Defense of Marriage Act. I don't know. He didn't deport enough immigrants. Who cares? Let's impeach someone, bitch. He got in trouble in 2009, and I'm amused by that because isn't his whole career trouble? But he got in trouble in 2009 for referring to President Obama as a power-hungry, arrogant black man. Hmm.
interesting uh, choice of words. And then uh, Michelle Bachman, of course, has said that he is, quote, uh, an intellectual firepower and courage that we should, the rest of us should copy. <laughs> intellectual firepower. I love that. Maybe that's the fire coming out of the dragons. Now, the guy who used to run against him, Arn Carlson, really summarized it best. Uh, he, he, this was a Republican governor uh, back in the day, right? But he thinks the party is now going so far to the right that this guy who used to be considered a lunatic, who Carlson beat by over 20 points in a primary, is now all of a sudden winning primaries and has gotten back in vogue in, in the insane Republican Party. And uh, former Republican Governor Carlson says, unfortunately, what was bizarre in the 90s is becoming the centerpiece of this new Republican Party. And that's a former Republican governor. And I think that exactly nails it. I mean, there's lunatics all over the country. But this guy is now back in a power situation because the Republican Party has lost its mind, and when they lose their mind, they turn to a guy like Alan Quist. So, finally, what did he do in his anti-sodomy crusade? He decided that he would go undercover at adult bookstores and gay bathhouses <laughs> in an effort to prove to local reporters that they'd become a haven for anal intercourse. Oh, no, no, of course, I got to go way undercover. I mean, way, way undercover. And after the man is already inside me, then you'll know it's a haven for anal intercourse. I told you about these goddamn bathhouses. <laughs> this lunatic is now the Republican candidate for a U.S. congressional seat. And what's even more shocking is that they think he has a chance to win. What have we become? How does this guy have any chance? He should lose by 80 points. This is the great miseducation of the American people. They have been fed so much propaganda that they can't even spot a lunatic. This guy believes he has scientific evidence for the book of Job. I mean, it goes on and on and on. He thinks that the curriculum in Minnesota is part of a UN takeover. He believes in the Hobbit homes like Ted Cruz does. He thinks that, that oh, there's a plan for urbanization where they're going to put us in tiny little homes and t take our suburban homes. I mean, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Republican candidate for U.S. Congress. Unreal. So I listened to the preacher as he told me what to do. He said you can't go hating others who have done wrong to you. Sometimes we get angry, but we must not condemn. Let the good Lord do his job, and you just pray for them. I pray your brakes go out running down a hill. I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill and knocks you in the head like I'd like to. Day comes and nobody calls. I pray you're flying high when your engine stalls. I pray all your dreams never come true. The Lord answers a Bible camp counselor's prayer for a safe and enjoyable hike. It's the Onion Radio News. This is Doyle Redland reporting. 
Teens visiting a local Bible camp rejoiced today after Counselor Theo Dugan's pre-hike prayer for a safe and enjoyable excursion was acknowledged by the Lord Almighty. Counselor Dugan told reporters that God's deliverance of the campers from bad weather, biting flies, and quicksand filled the hikers' hearts with profound joy as they beheld his wondrous creation, the camp's nearby woods. Out of all the prayers God received that second, he decided to answer mine. That's a good feeling. This just in, in the brief time since his prayer was answered, Dugan has suddenly gone mad with prayer fever and is now asking the Lord for immortality, a million dollars, and a 13-inch penis. Joel Redland for the Onion Radio News, online at the Onion. Don't say a prayer for me now. Save it till the morning after. No, don't say a prayer for me now. Save it till the morning after. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. Faithful viewers of this broadcast know that from time to time, we ask poets to drop by and share their work with us. This time, our guest is the versatile Philip Appleman, whose creativity spans a long life filled with verse, fiction, philosophy, science, religion, and above all, moments of everyday experience captured like the glint of the sun sparkling through a crystal glass. Just take a look at a sample of his legacy. Darwin, Apes and Angels, Darwin's Ark. In the twelfth year of the war, open doorways, and this, my favorite, summer love and surf, about the joys and wonders of loving and living. His latest book of poems is Perfidious Proverbs. A fellow poet said that to watch Philip Appleman sling words is to be richly regaled. I quite agree. Welcome, Philip. <laughs> Wonderful to be here, Bill. I have long thought of poetry as music, to be heard best in the voice of the composer. So let's go right to some of your poems. Good. I love it. Here's one of my favorites, and I think it's one of your favorites too, Eve. Tell oh, me yeah. about that poem. Twenty years ago, I published a book called Let There Be Light. It was a series of satires on various biblical stories, and uh, Eve, being one of the first, uh, came out at the head of the list. And uh, shall I read it? Please. <laughs> Eve is kind of reflecting on the, uh, on the snake at first. Clever he was, so slick he could weave words into sunshine. When he murmured another refrain of that shimmering promise, you shall be as gods. Something with wings whispered back in my heart, and I crunched the apple. A taste so good I just had to share it with Adam. And all of a sudden, 
We were naked. Oh yes, we were nude before, but now, grabbing for fig leaves, we knew that we knew too much, just as the slippery serpent said. So we crouched all day under the rhododendrons, trembling at something bleak and windswept in our bellies that soon we'd learn to call by its right name, fear. God was furious with the snake and hacked off his legs on the spot. And for us, it was thorns and thistles, sweat of the brow, dust to dust returning. In that sizzling skyful of spite whirled the whole black storm of the future, the flint knife in Abel's heart, the incest that swelled us into a tribe, a nation, and brought us all, like driven lambs, straight to his flood. I blamed it on human nature even then, when there were only two humans around. And if human nature was a mistake, whose mistake was it? I didn't ask to be cursed with curiosity. I only wanted the apple, and of course, that promise to be like gods. But then, maybe we are like gods. Maybe we're all exactly like gods. And maybe that's our really original sin. <laughs> the original sin. Ubris, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've said that's one of your favorites. What makes it a favorite? Well, I like the, uh, the, the personal tone of Eve, who you know, doesn't get to say anything in the Bible to speak of, and, uh, and to turn her into a kind of down-to-earth reinterpreter of that uh, kind of tickles me, that's all. She finally gets to tell her own story. Right. <laughs> Did you ever wonder about the silence in that story of the first woman, as it says? Yeah. No woman I know would tolerate it. <laughs> exactly. Now, there, here's one that we like especially. It's uh, one of the five poems of pagans that you uh, you did. And, th and this is one of the short ones. Would you read that one? And, and by the way, tell us what mammon is for those who haven't been reading the Bible lately. Well, Mammon is the love of money and greed, and uh, he's the god of, of uh, wealth. I call it my Bernie Madoff poem. <laughs> <laughs> Read on. <laughs> oh, Mammon, thou who art daily dissed by everyone, yet boast more true disciples than all other gods together. Thou whose eerie sheen gleameth from corporate headquarters and Vatican treasury alike, Thou whose glittering eye impales us in the X-ray vision of plastic surgeons, the golden leer of televangelists, the star-spangled gloat of politicos. O oh, mammon, come down to us in the form of treasuries, annuities, and high-grade bonds. Yield unto us those Benedict Arnold funds, those quicksand convertible securities, even the wet Judas kiss of futures contracts. For unto the least of these, thy supplicants, art thou welcome in all thy many forms. But when thou comest to say we're finally in the gentry, use the service entry. <laughs> <laughs>
Pat Robertson didn't waste any time weighing in on the Sikh Temple Massacre, saying the Sikh Temple Massacre happened because, quote, atheists hate God. What that has to do with this uh, Sikh Temple Massacre, I don't know. But let's examine the video and see what Pat Robertson had to say. Okay. Tannic, is it some spiritual thing that people who are atheists, <clears throat> they hate God, they hate the expression of God, and they are angry with the world, angry with themselves, angry with society, and they take it out on, on innocent people who are worshiping God. And whether it's <clears throat> a Sikh temple or a Baptist church or a Catholic church or a Muslim mosque, whatever it is, I just abhor this kind of violence and it's the kind of thing that we should do something about. But what do you do? What do you do? Well, you talk about the love of God and hope that it has some impact. Right, there it is. Okay, so... Well, let's uh, first analyze uh, just the comment. If you don't believe in God, how can you hate God? Well, that is the question. The, yeah. the idea that atheists hate God, atheists don't believe that there is a God to hate. So just a fundamental... Uh, uh, claim that just isn't based in, in uh, look up de dictionary definitions and based on that what Pat Robertson said doesn't make any sense. That's number one. Number two, reports indicate that Wade Michael Page had a number of tattoos including one that said 9-11 as well as a, a Celtic knot which is commonly used as a symbol of the Christian Holy Trinity. Now that's not proof that this was a Christian individual but certainly there is no evidence at all that the shooter in this case was an atheist. So unfair uh, politicizing by Pat Robertson to try to somehow take advantage of, of uh, an opportunity to take a shot at those who don't believe in God. Yeah. Very unfair. Uh, from the looks of it, I mean, I would say that religion probably had nothing to do with this shooting. It, no, I mean, when we're talking about a, a neo-Nazi white supremacist, it's about people who are not white, yeah. right? I don't know that, it, you know, in, in, interestingly enough, the comparisons being made about there's confusion about Sikhs being misperceived as Muslims and then having to clarify, well, but even if they were Muslims, that's still not a reason to shoot them. The entire thing, we might be able to go a level up from that and say it wasn't even about religion, it was about not being white. We right. don't know at this point. Right. But certainly some evidence of that. I have to say, at least Pat Robertson acknowledged that Sikhs don't deserve to die. That's that's something, at least, from what we've come to expect from Pat Robertson. Yeah, he he actually it seemed to respect other religions, which uh, which is good. I wouldn't even go that far. He seemed to admit that you shouldn't die based on holding a different religion than Pat Robertson. All right, it's a it's a lower bar. But it's a again, step in the right direction. It's a step in the right direction, exactly. Now, Pat Robertson, over the last few months, we've covered Pat Robertson saying that liberals support abortion to make lesbians equal. Those struggling financially must keep giving money to churches no matter what the detrimental effect on their personal finances is. God told Pat Robertson who the next president will be. Prayer could have stopped the tornadoes. He encouraged a woman to ruin her relationship with her lesbian sister. And of course, Lewis indicated that demonic possession is related to homosexuality. So we've really had a broad range of insanity from Pat Robertson over the last year. Also claiming that yoga is demonic. Oh, that's right. Yoga and um, Twilight. And Buddha. And Buddha, yeah. Buddhism. Tw again, again, Twilight, I'm not that convinced that Twilight does not have a connection with the demonic. That, that there actually may be. That, if, if anything, if any of those three are a possibility, it's Twilight. Hey people, hey people, there's a book you really ought to read sometime. God wrote it, and I quote it, anytime that its purposes suit mine. I believe there'll come a judgment day, good Lord, where me and God and Jesus will decide. If 
let you into heaven or damn you down to hell. So you might just wanna stay on my good side. In the Old Testament, God must have meant only some of the things that He wrote down. But if you wanna know what'll get you sent below, just check with me. I've got it figured out. A story that's getting uh, global attention is the story of an 11-year-old by the name of uh, Ramsha in Pakistan who might be facing the death penalty because she allegedly burned pages of the Quran. So they are accusing her of blasphemy, even though there's a lack of evidence indicating that she did that. Um, and you should also keep in mind that not only is the girl only 11 years old, but her mother says that she's suffering from Down syndrome. Uh, way to keep it classy, uh, Pakistan. So now, of course, it's not all of Pakistan. This is just this particular area, but unfortunately, um, you know, it happens too often. So a crowd of hundreds of men stormed their house, basically. They didn't go inside. They were outside, and they were calling for her execution, etc. Now, think about how brave it is for hundreds of men to want to kill an 11-year-old child with Down syndrome for what she might or might not have done. Can you imagine anything less courageous, anything more barbaric than that? Now, the girl's family lives in a little Christian community uh, in Pakistan. And these men not only stormed into the community looking for the 11-year-old uh, to basically call for her death sentence, um, but they also started burning down the homes of other Christians in the area. So because of this, Christian families are now being uh, you know, displaced and they're moving to different areas because... They don't know what to do. They're afraid of these violent attacks based on something that doesn't even have any evidence. Okay, so a couple things about that. First of all, um, it, that makes a lot of sense that you should be so worried about a couple of pieces of paper being burned that you burn down actual people's homes and risk setting human beings on fire. Yeah, that, that's very proportionate. That makes a lot of sense. And how tough and strong and all-powerful is your God if he can't even deal with an 11 year old girl with Down syndrome, that he needs you guys to come and try to burn her down or execute her because what, he can't handle her? How impotent do you think your God is? I mean, come on. If you actually believe, then that's the thing. These guys are all worked up about blasphemy, but the real non believers are them. If they thought that there was an Allah that was so powerful that he controlled the universe, that you think that he couldn't deal with an 11 year old girl? I mean, if you really believed she's gonna, and you thought she actually did it, she's gonna suffer in hell for the rest of eternity. Allah is gonna have shaitan torture her forever. What can you do to her that Allah couldn't do, right? But that's because you don't believe, and you're using it as an excuse for savagery and barbarism. And so these blasphemy laws, by the way, blasphemy in Pakistan, gets an automatic death sentence. And they and, use... I mean, the whole country is non-believers. They don't believe any of it. Why do you need to execute for someone for Allah? I mean, just because they offended your God? Is he that impotent, that useless, that weak, that pathetic, that he can't do his own killings or torture or etc., etc., that he needs you to protect his honor? He needs you to protect his feelings? Is he... Is his, are his feelings hurt? Is that what happened? Your sky god was like, oh god, well, I can't believe somebody said something nasty about me. Can you go ahead and murder them? 
Okay, that's the kind of God you believe in? You don't believe. You don't believe God is all-powerful. You don't believe a word of it. You just want to use it for your savagery. And it's in all of us. I don't blame it just on Muslims or just on Pakistanis. Christian fundamentalists uh, did it over and over again. When given an opportunity in Uganda, they want to kill homosexuals for blasphemy against God, etc. And, and it goes for all the fundamentalists. And what do they do? They, because they're pathetic, they always peek, pick on the weakest. Find a girl who has mental issues, she's 11 years old, target her. Because you're, you're a sad excuse for a human being. And by the way, uh, all those Christian families should immediately come and seek asylum in the United States. You tell me Christians here in the US, right wing and left wing, aren't going to say, hey, you know what? We should give you asylum. Your lives are literally in danger. So ironically, they might have given you a lottery ticket. Please, someone be savvy enough to let them know, get them the hell out of Pakistan. Okay? Now, I defend Pakistanis here in the US. When I did it earlier in this show. When the NYPD came and said, assumed everybody from Pakistan is guilty and treated them like terrorists, it's sickening, right? You can't make decisions based on somebody's religion, their race, their ethnicity, etc., right? But here is a situation where they're actually doing this. Mm -hmm. And if you're a Christian, how in the world are you going to live there? You got to get the hell out of there. Whenever God shines a lot on me, open up my eyes. So I can see When I look up In the darkest night Then I know everything Is gonna be alright In deep confusion In great despair When I reach out for him He is there on this week's episode of Oh My God, we're gonna, first up, we have Brian Fisher, because he's upset about the Obamacare. He doesn't like it when people get health care, just like Jesus, and he has this to say. <laughs> we talk frequently on this program about how people who have an active, vibrant spiritual life are healthier. They live longer, they are healthier, and they are happier. So they are their physical health is better. What we ought to do is we ought to have an, an individual mandate from the government that everybody has to go to church because after all Obamacare is all about improving the health of the American people we know that going to church is good for you it's good for your health so we are going <laughs> to mandate that you go to church for your own health and we are going to tax the atheists who don't go to church Oof. now we can't make you go to church but we are going to penalize you if you don't we're going to assess a tax on every atheist that doesn't go to church because those atheists are endangering their physical health. That is actually a brilliant He's doing a brilliant skit, suggestion. isn't he? This is like Don't ironic. We talk well, I mean, he can't be serious, right? Well, no, what they're doing, this is one of those false equivalency. Yes. Well, let me give you a perfect example of what this is from our perspective. Right. When it's anything but a perfect perspective. Right. It's a fake analogy that leaves volumes of data out of mm -hmm. it. Of course. To hold up their fake position mm -hmm. about it and they're playing on pure emotion. Oh, finally, my version mm -hmm. I get to play back. I can't wait to hit something back because you hit me so hard in the other direction. Uh, well, I just think when he says, you know, it's been proven that people who live a spiritual life and go to church are healthier. I'm like, well, you know, I don't know if you would call, talk to some of the altar boys I went to school with. <laughs> <laughs> they would, I don't know if the, well, having healthy. to pay for your own rape kit is part of I that. remember uh, uh, <laughs> Jerry Falwell had some 
some really hard abs from what I remember. <laughs> Under all that. Really good shape. Yeah. <laughs> and when he died of a heart attack at his desk, I mean, I, felt, I think that was really the icing on the cake, I mean, so I, to speak. Pat Robertson. Another, uh, fi- not- <laughs> another fine specimen of a man. <laughs> Pat, Pat Robertson gives advice on how to deal with people's problems every day on his show. People write in emails. So let's see what he has to say today about adopting kids. He's losing it, yeah. Susan says, I'm the mother of three adopted girls. I find the men I date are okay when I tell them I have three daughters, but when they find out that they're adopted and from three different countries and not my own biological children, they don't want to date anymore. Whether I tell them up front or after a couple dates, all the men are reacting the same way. They say they could be okay if the girls were, you know, biological children and came with child support. Why are these men reacting this way? Can I answer? Because they're, I was going to say dogs. Don't you insult my I'm not going to say dogs, but they uh-huh. are. that's just wrong on every no, level. No, it's not wrong. It is wrong. I mean, no. a man doesn't want to take on the United Nations. and, and Oh, and, uh, my God. Oh, wow. Jesus. Holy crap. Oh, God. So, <laughs> so once again, the woman who's reading the questions to Pat Robertson uh-huh. thinks that mm-hmm. uh, her response is also mm-hmm. going to be his response, and she is woefully wrong. By the way, this whole letter is the plot of South Pacific. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's go on and see Molly what... <laughs> let's listen to what else he has to say. Various children, and blended family. I mean, what is it? And you don't know what problems are. I'm I'm serious. I've got a dear friend, adopted some little kid from an orphanage down in Columbia. Child had brain damage. You know, grew up weird. (laughs) Oh, my God! Oh, my God! (laughs) He grew up foreign. He grew up foreign. He grew up foreign. Foreign. Kind of brain Usually they outgrow that. <laughs> Pat Robertson, oh. that does not disappoint, right? So oh. we go, he's got some more to say here, fellas oh. and What's ladies. What's done to a child before you get that child? What kind of sexual abuse has been? What kind of cruelty? What kind of food deprivation? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you're not a dog because you don't want to take on that responsibility. You don't have to take on somebody else's problems. I mean, you really... That's and that's what orphan, and that's, that's Yeah, what a Christian sentiment. <laughs> that's, yeah. what an, that's what all orphans are. They're other, other people's, people's problems. problems. And Jesus said, don't take on other people's problems, especially in the form of orphans. I'm all right, all right sure. Christians, have you realized what form did you think the devil would take when he showed up? <laughs> did you think he would come in the red sateen uh, cape with the little the rubber band horns on the head. It's like uh, Albert uh, Brooks in Broadcast News, right? Right, when he said right. That, when, he, when he's trying to convince that Holly Hunter that Bill... That, that Bill, uh, um, William Hurt is, is Bill the devil. devil. Yeah. Right. Devil, right. he's the devil! <laughs> I know that, you know, just as uh, when I date a woman and I find out that she has this uh, incredibly compassionate side that would make her adopt children. It's a total boner killer. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I do is I is I ask if uh, when I was single, I would ask, well, are any of the kids Asian girls? <laughs> <laughs> and then we take it from there. And are, do they want to be in the movies? And then we take it from. Let's see. Pat Robinson has he has a little bit more to say here. Does he? Don't you can go help people. You can minister to people. We minister to orphans all over the world. Thousands of them. We love. Them. 
orphans. We love them. <laughs> Just not in the house. Just not in the house. Them. Not in the Keep house. Them Keep them outside. The Keep them down in Columbia. We'll come to you. We'll come to you. Don't come to us. We'll we'll meet you with some food and some Hershey bars. I, hey, it's I the adopt cur- them. I adopt them, and then I give them a, so a set of skills, uh, <laughs> such as diamond digging. <laughs> it's the Christian way to have let orphans stay in orphanages and feel unloved and unwanted. Yeah. It well, is. We have, of course, we have to perpetuate that by going uh, ahead and killing more parents. Mm-hmm. So let, let's see. He, he has a couple <laughs> seconds left. Let's see if he can oh still surprise us. Yeah, right, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to take all the orphans around the world into my home. And I, I think, you know, okay, let's get the next That's question. Never mind. I, right, wish, I wish I could take y'all home with me. <laughs> but I'm out of time. Uh, you know, um, if what? you could only meet my daughter, who's Chinese, she would kick him in the balls so fast. Uh, that's her personality. She, she would absolutely not hesitate. That's, see, that's why I would never. That's, that's a, why he another want reason. To adopt. Another reason why not to adopt a foreign kid. They'll kick you, you in the balls. <laughs> you got me. You got me. Proving Pat Robertson's point. Way to go, oh, Kathy. That's what happens when you get too many Jews in the same room. All right, here we go. <laughs> Wait, there's just, oh, there's just two, two of those. Yeah, okay. that's too many. Too too many. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so remember, in a lot of ways, Jesus was adopted, right? He wasn't. Oh my God, he, he was live. Joseph's adoptive son. He was. He That's what they live. tell me right. in Catholic school when I was Joseph. a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, he and he was weird. Yeah, he. Was, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, was he weird? Uh, genius. Wow. I'm feeling unknown, and you're all alone, flesh and bone, by the telephone. Lift up the receiver, I'll make you a believer Take second best, put me to the test Things on your chest, you need to confess I will deliver, you know I'm a forgiver Reach out and touch faith Reach out and touch faith. The Forces of Intolerance just won another victory in Wisconsin. A local theater group that has a contract with the Department of Natural Resources to perform plays in a state park in southern Wisconsin just got word that it won't be allowed to put on one of its plays. The play, written by the reduced Shakespeare Company 15 years ago, is called The Bible, Complete Word of God Abridged. It's very lighthearted fair. For instance, it has Moses coming down from the mountain saying, I got good news and bad news. The good news is I talked him down to ten. The bad news is adultery is still one of them. The play's been performed hundreds of times in this country without incident until now. Until, that is, Vic Eliason, a Milwaukee Christian radio host, called it blasphemy and urged his listeners to barrage the board members of the theater group as well as the DNR with phone calls. Eliason, who I just talked to, said there shouldn't be what he called open season on Christians in a Wisconsin state park, and he applauded the DNR for pulling the plug. Brian Farrisey, the producer of the play and the founder of the theater, said the whole thing's unbelievable. A simple little comedy, he told me, has become a battle over religious tolerance and intolerance. At the moment, we seem to be losing that battle. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it. I was happy in the haze of a drunken hour. 
job and then I found a job and heaven knows I'm miserable now in my life why do I give valuable time to people who don't care if I A faith-based TV repair shop is severely backed up. It's the Onion Radio News. This is Doyle Redland reporting. Evangelical customers flocked to Let There Be Light Electronics when it first opened its doors last May, but since then the shop has been severely backed up and is now on the verge of bankruptcy. Owner John Mayhe says he and his staff of two have been praying very, very hard over the appliances, but so far only one repair has been successfully completed. I accidentally knocked over a TV, and when I picked it up, it was working. Praise the Lord. May he also says he's received a lot of angry phone calls from customers and bill collectors, but maintains a sunny disposition thanks to his faith in Jesus. Doyle Redland for the Onion Radio News. the science guy is in favor of evolution because he's a science guy. He should be in favor of evolution. <laughs> However, uh, he just recently made a video where he criticizes those who believe in creationism and also teach creationism to their children. Let's watch. Denial of evolution is unique to the United States. When you have a portion of the population that doesn't believe in that, it holds everybody back, really. So if you try to ignore that, your, your worldview just becomes crazy. It just... Uh, untenable, self-inconsistent. And I say to the grown-ups, if you want to deny evolution and live in your, in your uh, world that's completely inconsistent with everything we observe in the universe, that's fine. But don't make your kids do it, because we need them. We need scientifically literate voters and taxpayers. Okay, obviously we agree with him, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I just want to note for the record that Bill Nye reminds me of, like, a less grumpy Dave Kohler. Kind right? of. Like, yeah. he's just, right? Am I right? Like, I he, he's just as smart, you know, he's a rational guy, but he's yeah. not as grumpy as Dave Kohler. Um, but no one I, looks more like a scientist than Bill Nye, by the way. I know, with the if bow tie and everything. If you combined all scientists into one body, that's what you'd have. Yes. The thought that people who believe in creationism would take a step back and think, huh, Maybe I shouldn't brainwash my children with this nonsense is a little unrealistic. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't think that that's going to happen. In fact, let me give you some numbers that will shock you. This is according to a Gallup poll, and it's a survey of 1,012 adults in May of 2012. 46% of Americans can be described as creationists for believing that God created humans in their present form at some point within the last 10,000 years. How depressing is that? When I read that, like I went through the exact same thing that you saw Bill Nye go through on the video where he's just like, if you want to oh, live in that world, like he's so <laughs> disgusted mentally. 46%? 
That's a pretty big number. They think it's more likely that we coexisted with dinosaurs or rode around with angels than we evolved over the course of billions of years as so many different scientists and different areas of science have confirmed. It's mind-blowing. The reason that they can do that, of course, is that they haven't looked into any of it. They're not interested whatsoever into looking into the science of evolution. You know, there have been numerous studies uh, that indicate that if you have a firm belief in something and you receive information that conflicts with your belief, you are more likely to take that conflicting information and use it to strengthen your own bias. Mm -hmm. Like you find a way to put the puzzle pieces together so it'll conform with whatever belief you have. Yeah. So in, in this case, those who believe in creationism will take scientific information like the dinosaurs or you know fossils and whatever findings archaeologists are able to find. And they will use that new information to somehow strengthen their own crazy beliefs. It's amazing to me. Yeah. And it's because it's human nature to not want to admit that you've been wrong. I mean, think about it. Religion is a big, big part of people's identities. And when you have information that proves your religion wrong or proves that what your religion says existed doesn't really exist, you kind of feel a little foolish. So you try to find a way to say, no, 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 no. This actually proves my point. It's mm -hmm. kind of incredible. Yeah. No, we've talked about that before. And, and look, the, the reason that... Bill Nye's coming out and saying this. It's not just because he has a personal problem with the fact that people are creationists. Is that I think he does. Well, he does he too, is. but that's not the principal reason. The principal reason is that he knows, he understands that our kids are not doing well in college in the life sciences and related areas because they don't either believe in evolution or they're not being taught it regardless of their beliefs because their teachers refuse to teach them. And the thing about evolution is that it works in different scientific areas. You do research based on assumptions that, ha that underlie evolution and you get results out of it in the studies of viruses and the creation of medicine and all these different areas that the people who say evolution isn't real don't even know exist. They don't even know that people have careers in that field. They work because of the assumptions that we have about evolution. Hey, this is Lee Camp. I hope you've enjoyed having my Moment of Clarity rants pumped into your skulls. If you have, you would almost definitely love my free Moment of Clarity backstage podcast where I discuss the topics of the day. You know, the little things like the corporate raping and pillaging of our world. I also have on fun, awesome guests like this lady. My name is Janine Garofalo. This guy. Hi, I'm John Oliver. Even sometimes this guy. This is Greg Palace, and I've got my zipper caught in Moments of Clarity. Free at LeeCamp.net, iTunes, Stitcher, or the Android app. Plus, there's a Moment of Clarity book for those of you who thought, I love Moment of Clarity, but I hate how I can't lick it. Well, now you can. The Moment of Clarity book and ebook, get it at LeeCamp.net or on most e-reader platforms. And remember, keep fighting and stay angry. There are two things America has in spades. Religious people and greedy people. Alright, we have other things in spades too, such as pride and ignorance and people with an ass in the front. But we'll leave that for another time. Over 80% of Americans claim to be religious, and a high percentage of those are greedy ass. Now, I don't believe the Bible is anything more than mildly fascinating stories with a, an occasional woman getting stoned to death for giving out the at the wrong time. But if you're gonna say you're living your life by the Bible, then you have to actually do it. You have to go all out. For example, 
It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That's Luke 18.25. I'm not that good with geometry, but I would say that almost means rich people can't get into heaven. Because first of all, camels are much larger than a needle unless you've got one of those adorable teacup camels. But they're expensive. And secondly, camels rarely sew anything. So the odds of them even encountering a needle are rather slim. Matthew 6.19 Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in. That's right, moths. They'll get you every time. Anybody dumb enough to become a billionaire has not stopped to consider the moth. Luke 18.22, sell everything you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. The Bible, the book you claim is written by the Lord, tells you to sell everything and give to the poor? It doesn't say give $5 to the dude on the street who's drumming on an old bucket and then keep the rest of your millions for cars and swimming pools and blood diamonds, dancing horses and prancing masseuses. Make it a carnival of... Or how about Luke 3.11? Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Coats? Whoever has two coats? I'm pretty sure Mitt Romney has more than two coat factories. This is your book, folks, and it says don't let anyone go cold. Don't let anyone go hungry. Don't throw families onto the streets to enrich yourselves. It probably says something about not eating foie gras, too, but we'll deal with that another time. Proverbs 31.8 Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Not only are you supposed to allow for freedom of speech rather than shooting it with a rubber bullets, you're supposed to speak for the destitute. I would be surprised if Jamie Dimon has ever spoken to the destitute, even just to curse him out. He probably pays someone to do that for him. Now listen, rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. The wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. James 5.1. I think the point is clear, rich people. If you don't quit treating your fellow man like you will have moths to contend with. And I'm sure there's worse stuff down in eternal damnation, like a few hot pokers up the but it sounds like the moths are pretty prevalent. Look, all I'm trying to say is this is your crazy book of fairy tales. If you choose to believe it, then believe it. I live my life based on a book called The King's Trousers, but I don't just ignore the part about the trousers. And that's what you're doing when you claim the Bible and ignore the poor. Colin from Cleveland just listened to your new episode and uh, in danger of beating a dead horse about the train conversation I, I think 
a lot of good has come out of the voicemails. And ultimately, I think it really didn't matter that you uh, specified which religion. I think really what we shall be walking away with is, like you said, how religion oppresses. And uh, in this country, I have family who are Christians who use the most foul, disgusting language, talking about blacks, talking about gays, but they go to church, so it's okay. And that just reminds me of, you know, Pasquale, the uh, philosopher who said that men never do evil so completely and happily than through religious convictions. This whole episode you had was great. I mean, really pointing out and putting a flashlight on how prevalent race truly is still in this country. And, you know, white privilege is there. <laughs> it's not going anywhere, sadly. We just need to really somehow work together as a people and move past it. Thanks for the show, man. Hi, Jay. Chuck in Salt Lake City here. I was hoping that uh, I could get some clarification from you and maybe some of the other listeners. It seems like what you're saying is that, let's say, opening a door or holding a door open for a woman or allowing her to go through a door before you is inherently sexist. I guess I'm having a real hard time with that. Um, never considered myself to be a sexist person, but uh, I was always taught from a, you know, from from any young boy that that's just what you did. You held doors open for, for women, and in fact, you know, in my life, I've kind of carried that on through, and I pretty much hold doors open for anyone who happens to be uh, coming up to the door, coming up to the door of a convenience store or a grocery store or wherever I'm going through, you know, I'll uh, hold the door open for my fellow man. And I find it's kind of a community building thing. And I guess I'm really concerned that we're kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater here. If we're saying, you know, uh, you need to be really careful about holding the door open for someone because you may be a misogynist. <laughs> I'm, I mean, is that, is that what, is that what we're talking about here or, the story that you told, uh, you know, at first I, I wasn't going to call in because clearly this guy you saw was, you know, a dick. And I would have probably been just as offended as you. I certainly wouldn't stand on a subway platform and, and glare at the men because they're not letting the women on first. But I may very well, uh, you know, stand aside and smile at someone, whether they be a man or a woman next to me and say, you know, go ahead and go first. And uh, I'm really just kind of baffled with, with the tone, I guess, of some of the calls. I haven't heard anybody actually say, hey, uh, you know, I think, you know, everybody who holds the door open for a woman is a sexist, but it sure, I mean, you're inching pretty close to that line, aren't, aren't, aren't we? And, um, and I guess I'm just kind of frightened at what kind of, what kind of world that leaves us. But hey, maybe that's just a, you know, it's a generation gap that I've brought up before on this show. Anyway, thanks for the conversation, Jay. 
Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So I really thought that the discussion of benevolent sexism was done, and I was ready to move on to something else, but enough people, most of them wrote in, uh, but a lot of them had the same reaction that Chuck in Salt Lake City did in his voicemail that I just played, where they came away with the misconception that I thought that holding the door open for a woman is inherently sexist and wrong. And so I don't want anyone to be confused, so I'll just address it, but I think I can do it quickly, which is say, that no, of course that is not the case. This entire story hinged not on the action itself, but on the intention behind it and where those intentions came from. So Chuck actually did a really good job of spelling out basically all of my arguments for me in his in his voicemail when he described his own personality because you know he said he was he grew up and was taught to be polite to women and hold the door open for them or let them go first but in his own life he actually extends that courtesy to everyone and that I think is part of the key because if your respect for women is genuine then it's probably not just a respect for women that you have but actually a respect for all people and this makes your politeness genuine but if your benevolent sexism comes from a place of blindly following tradition whether it be handed down to you from you know religion or your parents or anywhere else while not having a genuine respect for the people around you be they women men or other then it sullies that tradition and the you know gives politeness a bad name so you know i actually do think that if you were to only extend those sorts of courtesies to women because you were taught you know be polite to women but you never did it for men you all you let the door slam in men's faces because they're men and they don't deserve uh, you know a, a polite gesture like that then that actually is perpetuating sort of the status quo of sexism in, in society but no one you know myself or any of the callers suggested that so to me the answer is to be polite to everyone and have my intentions be in line with my actual actions you know i actually think that everyone deserves you know respect and politeness and so i actually try to give it to them as opposed to you know the the, the person in the story who you know gave uh, a veneer of politeness while holding back, you know, a, a core of disrespect. So that that was the key. It's the intention behind it and not the action itself that's important. And so now I actually want to talk about what I wanted to talk about today, which is sort of a tangentially related idea having to do with sort of blindly following traditions and the status quo and how that leads to molding sort of the psyche of an entire population into supporting public policies that aren't necessarily uh, the best thing that we could do, be doing for ourselves. And the, the three that come to my mind uh, instantly all the time is uh, the death penalty, healthcare policy, and drug policy. And all of the, those policies that we have in place have essentially been in place for you know as long as anyone alive today can remember very well. And I think that they are that way and that those policies enjoy the support they do in their current state. I mean, we just had a little bit of healthcare reform, obviously, but, uh, you know, drug policy and death penalty policy have been pretty rock solid for a pretty long time. And I think that they enjoy the support they do, not because people have put a lot of thought into it, re-examined all the evidence, made sure that we, you know, we kept up on 
all of the uh, you know the most up to date data that ensures that our policies are the best they possibly can be. But no, it's that we support the, the traditional policies because we always have. It, it almost is that simple. I remember, I, I think I was a freshman in high school, and my teacher asked the, the entire class who supported the death penalty. And almost all of the hands in the class went up, including mine. And I remember thinking to myself that I had never really thought about it and that I sort of just figured that I supported it because I knew that we had that policy in this country and that I was like, well, if we have that policy, then it probably works right. Because if it didn't work right, then we wouldn't have it anymore. And so it's that sort of institutionalized traditional thinking of, well, we should just keep doing what we've always done that leads to horrible policies that end up putting innocent people to death or policies like the drug policy, which ends up putting lots of otherwise innocent people in in prison for no real good reason and so on. So mostly I just like bringing that up every once in a while just to sort of shake people and remind everyone to actually examine the things they support to to make sure they actually support it for real good reasons, not just uh, for the institutionalized following the status quo reasons that I think most people believe in most of the things that they don't examine well. But I'm also wondering at this moment if there are other examples. Like I would love to have any policies that I support challenged based on the idea that I just support them because they've kind of always been in existence and maybe there's a better way to, to look at it or think about it. So if, uh, if there are any thoughts out there, other policies, not the huge mainstream ones necessarily like uh, healthcare and, and drug policy and so on, but if there are other things that could stand to be reexamined, please feel free to, to call those in or call in with any other uh, thoughts or comments you may have. The number again, 206-202-3410. So that is going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening and especially thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations. All that can be done through the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by spreading the word of individual clips you particularly like through your social networks. That can also be done at the website. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day. Thanks entirely to the members and donor to the show from bestoftheleft.com black and white took a picture that wasn't right